kaleidoscopic portrait of an America now vanished, and a sketch of a fighting mad nation spitting on its hands. Very little has been written about that home front by comparison with the mountains of battlefront literature. Cook was 33 when he began his journey, and while the manuscript lay unpublished for so many years, what he learned clearly nourished the broadcasts about America he began in 1940 and continued until 2004. In this book, so magically spirited from the past and into your hands, he is mostly concerned with a characterful people scattered on a panoramic landscape, emerging from one nightmare of the Great Depression to enter another. He observes that a farm the size of Surrey is being transformed into a tank training ground, and that a lovely five-mile peach orchard in Georgia has been torn up for warplanes wing-tip to wing like a plague of locusts but he forbears to take us on exhausting excursions into factories. For that we can be grateful, but some perspective is necessary to appreciate what came out of all the encounters he records so well. We know now, and we have the word of Joe Stalin for it, that for all the sacrifices of our fighting men and women, and the slog in our factories, the Allies would not have won the war in the West and the other war in the East without the way the American people, with amazing speed, created an arsenal no coalition of nations could come close to matching. Britain trebled its war output between 1940 and 1943, surpassing both Germany and Russia, who doubled theirs, though Japan excelled with a fourfold increase. And America? America stepped up its war output by a staggering 25 times. Instance. In 1942, a Liberty cargo ship of British design required 200 days to launch. Henry Kaiser, the dam builder from Spokane, had never before built a ship or airplane or handled steel, but he experimented with prefabrication and cut the time to 40 days. For his next trick, he finished the John Fitch 24 hours after laying the keel. Without the fleets of Kaiser's ships carrying supplies, Britain would no doubt have starved. Cook once wrote that only by the wildest freak is a reporter actually present at a single accidental convulsion of history. This volume is not that. It is more of a pointless painting than the flashbulb of a news report. But as it happens, he was present at the convulsive opening moment of Japanese betrayal, and his writing throughout is informed by the qualities that drew so many millions to his current reporting. When he broadcast his account of the murder of Bobby Kennedy in 1968, for instance, we had read the news reports, heard the screams, had seen the fuzzy television pictures of Ethel Kennedy cradling her dying husband. But it was one of Cook's most memorable letters from America for the same reasons that this volume emerges so vividly from the dust of 60 years. The detail was vivid, but the language calm, as of someone struggling to keep hold of his sanity at the utter squalid futility of what he was seeing. The face of the bloodied Bobby Kennedy staring up from the kitchen floor like the stone face of a child's effigy on a cathedral tomb. Cook's report moved us from contemplation of an external event to immersion in it. Because he is such a good observer, such a cool but evocative writer, and so schooled in the history of America and its personalities, he sees more than the camera or the casual onlooker. 
more even than those involved. On November 15, 1941, there landed at LaGuardia Airport a small, stocky man with spiky black hair, thick spectacles, and an excitable voice. This was Saburo Kurusu, a Japanese diplomat and admirer of America, who had married a girl from Chicago with the unthreatening name of Alice Little. Now he was arriving to negotiate with America, unknowingly in bad faith, unaware of the Pearl Harbor plot in which his masters had decided to act like a cunning dragon seemingly asleep. Kurusu had hardly unpacked in his Washington hotel before the Japanese battle fleet was ordered to sail for Hawaii. But Cook records with characteristic honesty that he felt a touch ashamed at the rough questioning the press hounds gave the exhausted special envoy. Spiky hair was so ragged from 13 hours in the air.